0: What is up guys? Here is the second live MMA meeting podcast. We talk all things MMA and I hope you guys are having an awesome day. Welcome everybody and the only difference is going to be I'm going to be able to read your guys live, live questions after the community tab questions but I'm going to go through the community questions first that take priority just like usual create a little bit of order into this. So I'm just going to hold it in for an hour. If I have time after the community, uh, community tab questions I'm going to read your live questions. So People are asking what's gonna happen to the podcast after I'm done going live. It's gonna be uploaded just like usual. It's gonna be on YouTube, all the platforms, all the apps, all that stuff. So, and hopefully the audio is louder than last time. There was a little bit of a little bit of a volume issue there, but I tested everything. Everything should be just just fine. So, what is going on in MMA? It's always interesting. It's always interesting when Habib. Post something on social media. Instagram. And he. He posted this. So he says. See you soon to Dana White. What does that mean? Nobody knows. Whether it be something about. You know. People are saying about boxing. Fighting Floyd Mayweather. I don't think it's anything to fight Floyd Mayweather. Anything like that. I understand Floyd's coming back to get these fights. He announced his return. Is that coincidence to fight Habib? I guarantee it's not. I guarantee it's not. But. It wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility. That is what I think right there. No G- uh, GSP 155 has to be the only fight. Dana says he's going to meet with him. He has something special up for Habib. And Habib said the only way he's going to come back to fight anybody is against GSP. But I'm not going to hold my breath on this. Uh, whenever it comes to Habib and coming back and him changing his mind and all that stuff, it's never. It's never something to wait for, really. But as for UFC 255, so we have some clarity. Of course, the whole thing with Mike Perry, we know he's going to stay in the UFC after his purpose botched weight cut. Very unprofessional, but Tim Means is probably not too mad at the, the amount of money he got out of all of that. 30% out of Mike Perry's purse. Mike Perry's show purse is like $90,000, so he got a little bit under 30000 he got the win bonus, won the fight, almost fight of the night if it wasn't for Joe Ban's fight, which was absolutely insane. So Timmy's had a good showing against Mike Perry, and the same narrative about Perry comes, comes, to, uh, comes forward. Where is his coach is, Did he train well? It seems like he's degrading. He's completely deteriorating his skills in the fight, but his mentality and some of his talents still stay. He's able to take a punch just like usual. Some of his intrinsic abilities are still there. But man, his, the lack of coaching, the lack of training has always been the biggest problem for Mike Perry. And now it's more than ever, which is kind of crazy. Now he doesn't have a real head coach, he's training himself and he didn't look, he didn't look up to par. He didn't look like what we thought he was going to be like when he fought Paul Felder, you know, when he fought Vicente Luque. He looked really good in those fights. And it looked like maybe things are starting to
1: start to be better for him. But his last fight Didn't look too good, man. He's going to stay. Hopefully, he doesn't botch another weight cut. His
0: excuse was that he started the weight cut too late. That was, that was Mike Ferry's excuse. But the guy was eating burgers and pizza and all this stuff like days before the fight. I don't know, man. I don't like that sort of stuff. But at least timmy has got more money out of it. And that's what I'm happy about. Valentina Shevchenko, we have some clarity on her career. She's probably going to
1: be fighting Jessica Andraj. So, I, I don't really like that fight too much for uh, Andrade, to be honest. Because, even
0: though she deserves it, she beat Caitlyn again, she TKO'd her. It's not, it, it, I think it's a title fight too soon, right? She's getting so many title fights back-to-back-to-back. To back to back, and, I think she needs to really... Get to the groove of things, go through a list of fighters before she gets that title shot and gets more confident in her skills because when she's fighting the champions after like one fight, it's not allowing her enough time to, you know, start to like progress her skills to eventually fight that champion. And Shevchenko's another beast, man. Look what Yuana did to her, right? Yuana was able to hop back into her round kicks to the head, the same kick Shevchenko knocked out Jessica Eye with, right? If Yuana is gonna be able to do that, what do you think like, Shevchenko is going to be able to do as well? I mean, Shevchenko did it to Jessica Ai, who's a little bit taller. She's a little bit faster than Andrade. And she pressures almost, not as marauding, but she's a very pressuring fighter as well. There's also those counter lefts. There's also the counter right hook. There is the clinch, but I do think that's one area Jessica Andrade is probably going to, to be superior in. And here's another thing people aren't talking about Shevchenko. Shevchenko... She, she backs up in straight lines a bit, right? She's not a lateral mover as much. She doesn't have these omnidirectional angles that she's able to take on opponents, right? Like Ioana does, like Rose Yunus does. When she moves, it's forward, back, right? Notice how many times she leans away from punches. And off of that lean, off of that pull, she likes to really extend her movements all the way back, and it can eventually hit the cage, right? And you know what happens from there. If Andrade is able to not get hit by some of the counter shots and backs up into the cage... There's the single leg to high crotch.
1: And I don't even think Valentina is enough to stop that takedown, to be honest. So, the slam is probably going to still be there. But the difference here is,
0: I don't know if Andrade is going to be able to hold down Shevchenko. She's strong, right? She's so physically imposing, but so is Shevchenko. Shevchenko is very hard to deal with on the ground. I know Maya held her down, though. So, Jennifer Maya has some, su- has some success in that second round. She showed her strength. She's also a black belt in jiu-jitsu, I believe, right? Jessica Andrade is like a blue belt, right? She doesn't, have the, she doesn't have near the kind of experience Shevchenko has on the ground, and she's not nearly as adept as her, you know? I think even from the slam, if she doesn't get knocked out, of course, that's always a factor. But if she doesn't get knocked out, she's able to bounce off the ground and stand up back to her feet Again, it gets into that whole rhythm again. Shevchenko has to find, or uh, Andrade has to find her way to get into Shevchenko's strikes. Like, right right inside of some of those hooks, right inside of some of the, the left straights. But, man, if she dodges, like, a left straight counter, she might meet a heck on the way in. So, I don't think it's a good fight for Andraj. I do heavily favor uh, Shevchenko to win that fight. Obviously, I don't think anybody in the 125-pound division can match up to Shevchenko. After seeing some of these other top contenders, you know, we all knew that before. When Shevchenko made it down to 125 for the first time, everybody was talking about nobody's going to beat Shevchenko. She's going to dominate and break records and stuff like that. But
1: when it's happening in real time, it is something to behold. And we have some clarity on Davis and Figueredo. So we know that he's fighting
0: Brandon Moreno and he's fighting on UFC 256. It's a good fight. I do think Moreno does have some things he can, things he can create issues for on uh, Davis and Figueredo style. But ultimately, I do see Figueroa also finishing him. He just seems like an absolute unstoppable force in this division. And I called it back in like 2018 and 2019. I called him the prospect of the year. I was saying he was uh, some of the nightmare matchups for, I think, Henry Cejudo and Demetrius Johnson. I'm trying to remember. It was a while ago, man. I was saying, this is the guy, you guys, that everybody has to watch out for. Once he had like one or two fights into the UFC. He he was undefeated, I believe. And, and that's, so I see right here, Petrion versus Figueredo is is a fight everybody wants to see, right? And that is the problem. That is the problem with this UFC 256 fight. It's the only thing I'm worried about. So I love to see Figueredo fight. I'm always up to watch him. But, He has to cut that weight again in three weeks. Not even three weeks. Not even three weeks. Like, two and a half weeks. He has to cut back down to 125. He's a big guy, man. That's not healthy. Like, so we know he cut 40 pounds, I believe, when he fought Juicer Formiga. Yeah, he cut 40 pounds against Formiga. He was 165 pounds, cut 40 down to 125. That is a quarter. That's essentially a quarter of his body weight. He lost a quarter of his human being to make that fight and he didn't look that good right so they're saying he was like around 152 152 ish when he fought uh Perez that's still that's still a lot of weight that's what 27 pounds 27 pound weight cut for a guy that cuts to 125 is a lot of weight heavyweights can do it relatively easy right they could go on the treadmill they lose 20 pounds but Figueroa is losing like a quarter of his body weight to make this weight class and what I think about uh, a two and a half week weight cut after the after the last one, the last one he, they said he looked good. They said that was a good weight cut for him, and he looked awful on the scales. He looked really drawn in, really sunken. He looked weak on the scales, but he looked good in the fight. So I guess it didn't uh, affect his performance. I think doing it again though is going to be a problem. Two and a half weeks into another
1: weight cut, going through you know the training camp again, all that stuff. What, what I predict is,
0: uh, there's two options that's going, There's two things that can happen here. So number one, he doesn't make the weight. He misses the cut. Number two, he makes the weight cut successfully, but he doesn't show up in the cage the same. And that is the one I'm, that's the one I'm looking at more. I don't, think, I don't think Figueredo is going to be the same fighter that we just saw like three days ago when he fights Brennan Moreno. I don't think he's going to have the same kind of power. I don't think he's going to be able to take the same kind of shots. I think he's going to be a little bit slower. A little bit worse cardio. But even still, I think he's enough to beat Moreno. I still think he he can do enough to win. But those later rounds are going to be very dicey. Right? These are the third, fourth, and fifth rounds against Moreno are going to be some of the hardest rounds. If it gets to there, it's going to be some of the hardest rounds in, in his entire career. Moreno puts on a pace. Moreno's a wild scrambler, man. He keeps going. He keeps going. And some of those wild shots can eventually get through. It's a dangerous fight for Figueredo more than people are thinking because of the weight cut factor. And here's the thing, man. If he wins, I don't want to see him at 125 anymore. I think the weight cut is going to have some irreparable damage. So 135 is, I think 135 is his natural weight class. He's a short guy, 5'5", five five, but he has like a 68-inch reach, which is roughly the same of a lot of those bantamweights. And he has the power to knock on anybody. He's a heavier guy, too. Look at Cody Garbrandt. Wasn't Cody Garbrandt on fight night, he, was le- he weighed less than uh, I think Henry Cejudo did. And Henry Cejudo was at 125, or was it Demetrius Johnson? Someone, one of those 125ers, Cody Garbrandt weighed less than them, but he's able to be very successful in the bantamweight division, right? He's a very light guy, and I guarantee if Figueiredo makes himself full for the 135-pound division, he's going to be a phenom there, an absolute monster in that weight class, and I think a fight with Petryan would be very interesting. I th- I think Yana is going to win that fight if they ever face. But Figueroa has that power. He does. Ha- he definitely has a percentage of Jiu-Jitsu. I think early on he's going to be a hard a hard puzzle to solve a bit, especially on the ground. So like Petryan is better boxing. He has better wrestling. He can dictate if the fight goes to the ground. He's a bigger guy too, a little bit, a little bit bigger. I don't think he's much bigger than Figueroa is they're about the same height and i think Jan is just a little bit more full a little bit more muscle bound than uh Figueredo. maybe not figuero's like he has like this lean muscle thing going on with him but Figu- but yan uh, is more like full with everything so physically i think Jan's a little bit bigger i think he's going to be able to stop some of the takedowns i think he's going to be able to outbox Figueroa as long as he as long as he does not get hit by that straight right sniping shot and some of those kicks to the body i think i think patreon should be able to defeat him but speaking of Patreon, at least now we know why he's not fighting. Um, so he was pulled out of USA 256. And the reason was due to uh, a, visa, a visa problem or something. He wasn't allowed into the United States. And it's probably due to, the, due to everything going on as well. Um, that fight with Elderman Sterling was going to be very exciting. I had Patreon winning that fight actually pretty comfortably, to be honest. I think his takedown defense was enough to stop Sterling's offense. And his striking is just way superior. He hits harder, he's faster. His understanding of angles, understanding of switching stances at the correct time is absolutely elite. I think the only guy that can match him somewhat was uh, a prime TJ Dillashaw. And I can't wait to see when that guy comes back. Uh, who knows how he's going to look. Ooh, yeah, exactly, TJ, TJ comes back. Who knows how he's going to look after the PED problem. So how much did that actually affect his game? Because he definitely had power. He was very fast, he had power, and he had five-round cardio very, very unique combination of the three right there, right? There's very few fighters who are able to do, have like all three of that, be very quick, very powerful, and have that power for five rounds, never really gassing out. And I can already see a lot of people saying, uh, why is Kamaru Usman like that? Uh, not going to say anything about Kamaru Usman, obviously. I think Kamaru Usman may be just a genetic freak. I'm not one to uh, put blame or point fingers at someone that, you know people think are doing peds but haven't been caught or there is no evidence to it johnny Hendricks, another one i know a lot of people point to johnny hendrix for the PED stuff but again there's no real evidence but i know everybody's talking about yeah kamar kamar a freak absolute freak man he's huge for the weight class too but he weighs low which is
1: weird so he's physically imposing but his weight isn't actually all that much So, right from that, what else is going on in MMA? Uh,
0: oh, did you guys see the. Did you guys really look at the UFC card after UFC 256? So, the end of December is going to be very, very good. UFC, UFC 256 is obviously a good card with Figueredo versus Moreno, Tony Ferguson versus Oliveira, uh, JDS versus Ghan. You got um, uh, v- Vittori versus Jacare Souza. There's many good fights on that card. But the card after that. Is crazy. Leon Edwards and Hamza Shemaev's
1: card looks like a pay-per-view card. And it's a fight night. We are in for a treat, man. So we got
0: uh, Leon Edwards and Hamza Shemaev headlining the card, of course. We got Steven Thompson versus Jeff Neal. That's so exciting. That's one of the most anticipated fights of the year. to Tupor versus Greg Hardy is pretty interesting. Hardy is finally getting that test, that contender test. Right? This is the guy guy like Merchant Tibor is someone that a lot of people want to see how Hardy would come up against, right? Hardy is a prospect. He's been winning or getting disqualified or no contest. Uh, at least he's not losing like that. And the only loss he really had, if my memory serves correctly, was against uh, Alexander Volkov. And he didn't look that bad considering who he was fighting on short notice, right? Tibor is a better fighter. He's more skilled. He does things better. He's all around just a more... All around, just a better technician in the cage, but he doesn't have the greatest chin. And Greg Hardy can hit pretty hard. He essentially finished his last fight off a jab, right? He's very, very athletic, very explosive, big guy too, way bigger than Tabora is. So the heavy—that's why the heavyweight division, like anything, can happen. It's like the lone division. This and light heavyweights are really the weight classes where anybody can come in there and knock anybody out with the right shot, of course. The, probab- the probability of that happening is very low, but it's much higher than the other weight class. And that's why a guy like Greg Hardy can come into the heavyweight and do what he's doing. You would never see a Greg Hardy in the featherweight division be able to be successful and victorious so often. Right? That is why you have to give some of a chance to Greg Hardy in this fight with Tabora. Also, he has a student's mentality in the game. You got to give him some credit, man. He's trying to learn. He's trying to understand fighting. He's, un- he's trying to understand MMA. And he is getting better. He's pacing himself a lot better. He's doing like leg kicks and stuff like that. Usually you'll see people who are very arrogant of the sport and not have this kind of mentality so early in the game, right? It might be because he was an athlete before, right? He's a football player before. And maybe that mentality of sticking, sticking, to, sticking to being a student and trying to learn, that may be one of the benefits coming from another sport into this one, right? Another fight we have, Marlon Marais versus Rob Font. That's amazing. Ralfon's one of the best boxers of the Bantamweight division. People really overlook him. He trains with Kelvin Cater, and they have that very similar style, man. Marlon Morice, because it's three rounds, he does have a huge advantage in that fight. You got Misha Surkinov versus Ryan Spann, which is a good fight. Jose Aldo versus Marlon Vera. That fight's insane. That fight is out of this world, man. Marlon Vera probably got a little bit of stardom after defeating Sean O'Malley. And a lot of people are getting behind him. Right? He has a lot of skills. He is like a top 15 fighter for sure. Probably even top 10 fighter. Good leg kicks. Good kicker overall. But I don't think he's going to be able to outkick Jose Aldo. I don't think so. I don't think he's going be able to outpace him really. He's more of a defensive guy. He's very patient. He likes to move around, move back and all that stuff. But that is a big reason why I think Jose Aldo might take over the fight. He's also way bigger than Malavera, is way more powerful. And he's probably even faster. We do have Michelle Pejera versus Kalen Williams, Chaos Williams, who just knocked out Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, of all people, with one punch. That's like a meme fight. These are the two guys that everybody loves, to see, everybody loves to see them fight, but you never know what's going to happen. And whenever the fight gets finished or however the performance is going to go, it's always going to be very, very entertaining and not what you're used to seeing. Can't wait for that fight. There's also many other good fighters on here. Alexandre uh, Pantoja, Bilal Muhammad's on the card, Darren Wynn's on the card, Eamon Zahabi's on the card, people were really high on him before. Insane card, looks like a pay-per-view.
1: But off of that, let's go right to the first question. We're going to go to Roberto Kammerer, hope I
0: pronounced that right. Hypothetical fight. So, Israel Adesanya versus Rumble Johnson. I got to go with Adesanya. He's way more skilled. And he's going to be able to counter everything Rumble does. Rumble's pretty fast for a heavyweight, but he's not fast for Israel Adesanya. Right? And that was. People talk about Rumble's power. And yes, he has one shot knockout power. It's one of the most devastating punchers to ever grace any MMA cage. But I don't think that is the thing about him. I think it's a speed. And that's what Daniel Cormier alluded to it's how fast he gets in on you. You don't know how fast he is until you're in front of him. This is almost like what it seems like with Surreal uh, um, gone, right? People who are standing in front of him finally feel that speed. And I think that's the same thing for uh, Rumble Johnson. He's not as technical. He doesn't have the wrestling. He doesn't have the cardio. I think Adesanya has many advantages in that fight. Colby Covington versus uh, Habib. That's a good fight. I think that's a competitive fight. Colby's obviously the bigger man. Because of his size, he's going to be able to wrestle with Habib a little bit more. Will he be able to stop the takedowns? Not all of them. Just like RDA was able to take down Colby Covington, I think Habib will be able to as well. Habib is also way better on the ground. He has more power than Colby Covington, which is ironic. And uh, yeah, Colby's a better striker overall. He has the cardio to go with Habib all five rounds. But I don't think that's going to win him the fight. I think he's going to be able to allow him to get to a decision, right? Get to the distance, of the, go to a distance with Habib. I think Habib would win that fight. Holloway versus um, Dan Hooker at 155, I guess. Well, Dan Hooker is way bigger, right? He's way longer, too. But technically, is he anywhere near the level of Max Holloway? Holloway striking is on another level, man. He's one of the best strikers in the UFC, period. So I'll probably have to say Holloway on this one overall. I can go in-depth on this, but I'm just (laughs) going to say Holloway for uh, time's sake. TJ Dillashaw versus Alexander Volkanovsky. At 145, I got to go Volkanovski. I think he'll be able to stop the takedowns. I think he will light kick TJ Delosho like crazy, man. Stop some of that movement and counter
1: him coming in. Oh, and speaking of uh, Max Holloway, did you guys hear of uh, Chill Sonnen's, um,
0: Chil Sonnen's comparison to Davidson Figueroa? He thought Davis Figueroa fought just like Max Holloway a bit, so... It's weird how people still aren't grasping his uh, style and some of his skills yet, but he definitely does not fight anything like Max Holloway. Anything. He's not long, he's like almost as long as Holloway too, which is pretty I guess that's the only uh, comparison. So, second question, go to Main G Mutt. Do you think more should be done with fight IQ training and drilling? <clears throat> it seems that technique is heavily prioritized when so many fighters make poor decisions in fights. I believe this is what makes champions like Jones, Volk Triple uh, C, GSP, etc., etc. Yeah, fight IQ training is a little bit interesting because how would you actually go about doing that? Um, I think fight IQ, just IQ in general, is something you just have, right? You're able to create things when the fight is happening, right? Now, game planning is something different. That's generally what the training camp is for. That's what the coaches do with you. The IQ part of it is how do you adapt, right? How do you adjust when things go wrong? Or to make things go better for yourself, Triple C, Henry Cejudo is a prime example of this. When he fought Marlon Moraes, he had a very shaky first round. Where right? he was getting kicked, he was getting beat in that first round, and he had to make an adjustment that his even his corner I think didn't even didn't even realize what he had to make. You know, it happened so suddenly. Things went south very quick for the guy, for Henry Cejudo. He made the adjustments himself in the second round and carried it on into a finish. That is crazy. And ever since that. Now it seems like people understand the blueprint, right? Cejudo seemed to put some kind of blueprint to fight uh, Marlon, Mar- Marlon Marais. Maybe you can say Jose Aldo was the first one to pressure him and do that stuff, but Henry Cejudo Henry is the one who really implemented it per- to perfection pretty much. And he had the wrestling to go with it. That's what Jose Aldo didn't really have. And that's why I think a lot of people are going to be able to beat Marlon Moraes ever since Henry Cejudo did that. Jones... With his high kick uh, on Daniel Cormier that you see in the picture here, the IQ part of it is how he was able to implement and uh, actually apply his game plan in the fight. He didn't go right away into the high kick and body shot conditioning. He didn't go into that right away. He had to do stuff to, uh, to make the fight into, get into some kind of rhythm so he can start going to the body, goes to the body for the first round a few times, goes to the body many times in the second, and eventually goes into the high kick. That is fight IQ. How you apply the game plan is a little bit different. I don't know how you could do that in training and drilling, right? Because the fight IQ, it doesn't come from your corner. It really comes from yourself in a sense. Not to get super uh, deep about it, but that's
1: pretty much what it is. Then we go to the next, uh, next question. Gourmar, Gourmand Clar. Would
0: Darren Till be considered a nightmare matchup for Usman if he was still at 170? That's interesting. Because besides having much better striking, Till has great takedown defense and is also great at getting back to his feet. And Usman will also have a hard time holding him against the cage in the clinch. That is a very, very good point. So I never thought about Darren Till fighting Kamaru Usman until now. First of all, we have to know he's probably never going to come back to 170. He looks right at home at 185. He looks perfect for the weight class. It's crazy to think that he fought at 170 for so long. Never, he never really needed to be there. But if he fought Kamar Usman at 185 or 170, yes, he has a style. He has things about him that are going to make Usman struggle in the fight a bit. He's hard to hold against the cage. He's very big. He's very strong. Who holds there until against the cage? I can't think of a fighter who really had that kind of advantage over him. Right? Even when you talk about Robert Whittaker, who's very big, very strong. He could even do that to the uh, the same kind of thing that Usman does to all of his opponents, right? Also, Who takes down Darren Till and holds him to the ground? Robert Whitaker couldn't get him to the ground. Jorge Masvidal and Donald Cerrone timed a very well, I think, double leg takedown to get him down, but they they rolls right back up to his feet. He also has great fight IQ, Darren Till. His left hand, I mean, if you only have a left hand, if you have a left hand or a left kick, and that's generally like the biggest weapons you have, also the jab, of course, maybe some sidekicks to the knee, you have a limited amount of tools you're working with, but yet you are able to be so successful with them, a la Conor McGregor, that shows high fight IQ. That just shows a natural understanding of the game of how to use some of your limited weapons, right? Uh, able to land the left hand countering or going forward. And that's going to be a problem for Usman, right? How's Usman going to enter into that distance and get away from the counter left hand? The same left hand he dropped Robert Whitaker with. Whitaker's very fast, man. He's a very good striker. And still, there until he's able to catch him with that same punch. Everybody knows it's coming. And he's able to still land it on the best strikers in the world. Usman... Is a little bit, a little bit slop, a, a bit sloppier than guys like Whitaker and guys like Masvidal to enter, right? He uses his reach, but he's not going to have a huge reach, reach advantage over Darren Till, right? I think a two-inch reach advantage, but Darren Till's like two inches taller, maybe even three inches. So his reach factor is not going to be able to work against like, like, against a guy like Darren Till, like it has against other guys. Shooting him for takedowns from a distance is something you're not seeing from. Usman as often as before right it might be due to his uh, knees that you know he has really bad knees and I don't know if he got that fixed but that might be a big reason why he's not shooting in as much as he did before and that will be a problem so ultimately yeah I can see Darren Till as you know considered as one of the nightmare matchups for Usman I still think Gilbert Burns might be the nightmare matchup but if Darren Till came back down to 170 he's he's like a solid number two
1: man he's a hard fight for Usman Great question. And then we go to Joseph Walker. Look at how
0: tired and dead Dana Way has looked ever after our recent events. Even when they've gone amazingly, you could see his job is having a bad effect on his health. Even even if he look even if, even if he does look like he's been on the on the sauce recently, but that's a whole other question. Yeah, do you think it's time for him to retire? And if so, who do you think should take who you think should take his place? My vote is for Uncle Chael. I don't want Dana White to leave. Um, I actually like Dana White, just entirely. I never want him to leave. He seems right, and he's been doing the job forever. Like, who can take his place, honestly? I'm trying to think who could. You're saying Chael Sonnen. Maybe Chill can, but I have a feeling he might turn a little bit WWE-ish, which I don't want. I have a feeling. I don't know for sure. I just have that feeling about him. He understands the business side of it. And he would try to promote, promote his fighters very well. And I know that from Chill for sure. He'll be a great promoter for the fighters. But I think he might be a little bit overboard with it. I think it might escape the martial art aspect of the, of the game. But yeah, Dana's looking older. He's looking tired. The job is not easy, man. Especially during a pandemic. I mean, think about that. Think about doing his job now. I understand Guy gets a bunch of money to do it. But getting no sleep, having to have all these headaches with all these fighters and venues and business owners and all this stuff.
1: I don't know, man. Uh, I don't know if he's going to leave. He said he's going to be around for a long time. And then with a Jonero, Who won between Amanda Nunes and Valentina Shevchenko's second
0: fight? I had Nunes. I had Nunez winning. I know a lot of people have Shevchenko winning, and I could see it, 100%. I don't think it's a robbery, but I think Nunez was able to control the fight a little bit more. I, was this before or after the new rules? I forgot. I haven't looked at that fight in a long time. You know, who do you guys think? Amanda Nunez, Valentina lost. Valentina won round five. No one could beat Nunez. The only guy, the only, oh well, wow, the only guy, the only person that could beat uh, Amanda Nunes is, is Valentina Shevchenko. But I think Nunez won that second fight.
1: The third fight has to happen, though, for sure. And then we go to Mark Marks-On. How do you think Charles Oliveira, with his current skill
0: set, would do in rematches to people he's lost to? Felder, Cerrone, Pettis, etc. Max Holloway, that fight was weird. Um, I guess against Max Holloway, don't run into the cage. But um, I guess uh, against Paul Felder, Cerrone, and Pettis, for an example... Stick to the striking a little bit more. He tried to wrestle a bit. And his striking just overall got so much better. His grappling seems relatively the same. He's still going for the high, high risk uh, submission attempts and stuff like that. But it's really his understanding of movement and position in the striking that's getting him a lot of wins now. He's more confident there. And because he's more confident in the striking, he's generally going to be more confident in a fight because he was always confident on the ground. But the striking was always, his striking always seemed to be a little bit. Nerve wracking, you know. What I'm saying, like, he looked like he wasn't super comfortable there. And against Paul Felder, even though he might not win the entirety of the striking exchanges with Felder, he will be able to hang a bit. And because he's hanging a bit, because he's able to find and pick some of his shots, he will start to understand. Oh, there's an opening here for a takedown. There's an opening here for a double leg, single leg. I can drag this and pull guard. I don't. The, the shocking thing about the Felder fight was that Felder was able to keep position and land elbows on top of him, and Oliveira did not defend it that well. So, that is alarming going to a Felder rematch, to be honest. But, yeah, that's a bit interesting. Uh, I do not remember the Cerrone fight. I know that was a long, long time ago. Unless you're thinking about Alex Oliveira versus Cerrone. Because I don't remember Charles Oliveira fighting Cerrone. It does sound right, though, that he did fight him. Long time ago, though. Uh, Pettis? Was Pettis the one that got him in the guillotine choke? I forgot about that fight, too. That was a while ago,
1: man. I actually didn't even watch that fight live, to be honest. Um, and then we go to Cody C912.
0: Should Chris Lee be disqualified as a judge? Yeah. <laughs> That's the answer to that. There's a lot of judges that should not, be, uh, should not be judging any kind of fight. But Chris Lee has been... I don't know what he's been doing lately.
1: Definitely, definitely not going showing, especially in the last few fights. Yeah, everybody agrees. Then we we'll go to Abdullah Dilawar. Is is he the goat if he beats Jan
0: Jones and then Stipe in his next three fights? He's definitely in the discussion. You know how crazy that is to think about. Those can be his next three fights, and that is what I predicted. If he beats Jan Blahovic, which is a if, a big if. I think he fights Jones. If he beats Jones, I think he fights Stipe. Now, that's crazy to think about. But that is a possibility that is right in front of us for the next year. But beat the light heavyweight champion, who's a very good fighter. Beat the greatest light heavyweight of all time. One of the greatest fighters, if not the greatest fighter, if you include the PEDs. If you do not include the PEDs, should I say. And then goes and defeats the greatest heavyweight of all time. Again, top seven greatest fighters of all time. And he's also undefeated. He beat Robert Whitaker. He beat Yuval Romero. He beat Paulo Costa. He beat everybody, essentially. Oh, well, not everybody, but almost everybody. Yeah, Adesanya would definitely be in the conversation. I know. It is funny. Izzy beating A does seem uh, a bit a bit out there. But there is a possibility. If it stays striking and A just doesn't want to take it to the ground and he decides, I want to strike with this guy, then Izzy definitely has a big chance. But... If he decides, you know what, I'm just going to take this guy to the ground, double-leg him, I don't know how uh, Izzy is going to fare well. He didn't beat Artem, though, that is true. Number four, Logan Scott. How would you fix judging in MMA? And then number two, who do you think will be the next fighter to enter the GOAT conversation? Well, number two is easy. probably Israel Adesanya. Uh, If Henry Seward was not, he should be. But the next... I think Izzy's like a good solid pick. He's a good solid fighter to get into that conversation. Even if you lose to Jan Blachowicz, he still has a lot of things he can do in the middleweight division. He's already reaching towards uh greatest middleweight of all time. So there is that. Habib is in it. If so that so that's uh concrete right there. Stipe's in it. Who else is there? Jan Blachowicz, I don't think he's close yet. Kamar Usman, he can do things in the next few years to get him into that conversation. Volkanovski, he has very good wins. Win over Jose Aldo, win over Chad Mendes, two wins over Max Holloway. And yes, two wins. I'll argue with anybody against or who say that Max Holloway won the second fight. But um, solid wins in the featherweight division. Bantamweight Petryan is just getting started, so probably not him. Amanda Nunez is in the conversation. She's, she's the greatest woman, female fighter of all time. Valentin Shevchenko is one of the greatest of all time. Davis Figueroa, not really there. So i say Izzy is the, the a good pick for that. Number one, how would you fix judging MMA? There's so many things. Actually, use replay. It should be like mandatory, I guess. After uh, a finish, they should look at the replay because there's been so many fights where things could have changed, and it should affect the outcome 100% change some of the rules such as a 10 point must system that is an old rule system that doesn't even apply to MMA that well it applies a lot way better in boxing but not so much in MMA they got to change that a bit why do they only go down to uh 10 7 or even 10 6 i've never seen anything under 10 6 where's the 5 4 3 2 and 1 like why aren't those used also draws should be way more used in judging way more like i don't understand why fight, why judges are so cautious about going to a draw for a fight. Like, I understand the rules, the ones that I think Big John McCarthy wrote makes it almost impossible to go to a draw because even if you land like one bigger, one big punch more than your opponent, you won the round, right? It's very specific. But there are absolutely a lot of fights out there, man, that need to be draws, right? All these close contests, why can't they be a draw and they do a rematch? That should always be a thing too. Like, if there's a draw, it should go into a rematch unless there is a number one contender that cannot be denied. Like, Tony Ferguson back in the day. You know, when Tony Ferguson was on that win streak, he deserved a fight for a title no matter who went to a draw with Habib or something like that, right? Unless it's something like that, then it'd be different. If you go to a draw, you go to a a rematch, draw should be used a lot more. 12 to 6 elbows should be eliminated. I can be a bit... I I have the mentality that soccer kicks and stomps... Well, maybe not stomps, but soccer kicks and knees on the ground should probably be legal... I actually like those better. Um, Stomps can be a little bit tricky because there's a cage. You get stuck against the cage if you're on your back and your head is towards it. God guy can just stomp and you can't do anything about it. So that's a bit unfair due to the environment. But soccer kicks are a lot harder to use than people think. So that's a bit interesting, right? There's a lot you can go into judging. I can make an entire video. I can go for the whole hour (laughs) Talking about what can be uh, fixed for judging in MMA. Then we go to Minden. Hey, Weasel, how do you see these matchups going? Whitaker vs. Colsta. Oh, Whitaker for sure. Whitaker for sure. Costa doesn't have the best chin either. He has, sol- he has a solid chin to take shots from Yolo Romero, but a big shot from Whitaker, I don't think it's enough. Whitaker hits very hard, and he's way faster than Colsta is. Way better movement. He could take it to the ground, potentially, or at least use it to land strikes. You know, go down, right overhand, go down, fake leg he's going to go for a double leg takedown. Paulo Costa drops his hands, high kick. That's something that Whitaker already applies into his striking game, let alone his takedown game. So, I got to go with Whitaker for sure. He is, he is absolutely amazing, man. It's crazy that even, it only takes Adesanya to beat this guy. I don't think anybody else can beat Whitaker outside of Adesanya. Kelvin Gastelum
1: versus Yowl Romero. Talk about a wild fight. Oh, that's a tough one. I gotta think about that one.
0: Romero's def- Romero has better wrestling. He's better on the feet, or not better. Uh, Kelvin Gastelum is more technical with his boxing. But the thing is, Romero's more effective with a lot of things he does. Even how wild he is, and sometimes seems very untechnical and doesn't seem like he's gauging things as correctly or as calculated as some of these other guys in this division, his explosion, athleticism, his speed and lolling ability allows him to get in on his opponents with the flying knees, with the left hands, with the jabs and body shots, a bunch of different crazy techniques that you don't usually predict that he's going to throw at you, right? There's always something new he's throwing. Because of that, he possibly can catch something on Kelvin Gastelum. Will Kelvin's boxing is step and jab left overhand, step and jab left straight, counter right hand. Are those going to be enough, those limited amount of tools, enough to get in on the much faster, the much more explosive, much more athletic Romero who's exploding all over the place and even trying to take him to the ground? 100% that is what Romero is going to do. At least I hope he does because Romero's biggest downfall, downfall is his fight IQ in a way. He has so many tools. He has so many things he can do in a fight, but then he just doesn't use a lot of it. Right, Even all the stuff we just talked about, he doesn't use a lot of it in specific fights. Look at against Adesanya. He barely wrestled, even though that was his goal to to, win, uh, goal to, to give him a chance, at least, because Adesanya has good takedown defense, but at least that was the way he should have went on to win the fight. Kelvin Gaslam, has this, Kelvin Gaslam has that takedown weakness, I guess you say, in, in the middleweight division because these guys are so much bigger. Look what Chris Wyman did to him. He took him to the ground, controlled him, and submitted him. Romero doesn't have the best control on top, but his takedowns are much harder to defend against than a Chris Weidman if he really commits for one. So, that's a tough one. It's really tough. It all comes down to what does Romero do in the fight? What, what are some of his decisions, decision-making skills in the fight against someone like Kelvin? Kelvin has a limited amount of tools compared to some of the other guys that Romero fought, that like uh, guys like Adesanya, even Paulo Costa, even Robert Whitaker. So it might be easier for him to game plan for and use more of his tools seeing some of the same strikes come out of Kelvin Gastelum throughout the entire fight. So I'm going to go with Romero, but I'm never confident with something like that. McGregor versus Tony Ferguson. Got to go with McGregor. Tony can absolutely do things. He can absolutely make things work against McGregor with his volume, with his cardio. If he can survive the first two rounds and not get countered too much, He definitely has a huge chance of winning this fight. And not only that, wrestle. Tony never shoots. But he used to shoot back in the day in the welterweight division in tough, earlier in the UFC. And he was very successful.
1: He has some really good takedowns, especially that single leg. Which also goes into the ankle pick, of course. But if he uses wrestling
0: after such a long time of hiatus from it, I think he has a huge chance of beating Conor McGregor. Right, because Connor does not want to go he doesn't want anything to do with the ground against Tony Ferguson. Nothing to do with his neck. Like if Tony Ferguson touches his neck, it'll be it'll be very dicey for Connor. Just that. But if Tony rushes in with those lunging punches, with the Superman punch, with a lunging jab, with the front kicks from a from a distance, I think McGregor White will be able to counter him and hurt him. Tony's taking a lot of damage. The damage he took against Gaishi can be life-changing damage. We don't even know if he's the same guy after that. So if I factor all of that in and what I saw from him in his last performance, I got to go with Conor McGregor. I think he TKOs him, to be honest. I think Tony's taking too much damage. He's older. He's like 36 years old, and he's been fighting for a long time. He's in a lightweight division. There's barely anybody in this division that are 36 years old, you know? It's a tough one. I love Tony Ferguson. I love Conor McGregor. Two of my favorite fighters in the UFC. But I think Connor would take this one. I don't think anybody beats Connor right now in the lightweight division. If you really think about it, I went through all the fights and I just don't see anybody who I would say would defeat him, you know? And then, Hamza Shemaev versus Leon Edwards. Oh man, this fight is all the rage right now. We got the Hamza fans, we got, the, we got people on the train going high speed right now. Leon Edwards, everybody's counting him in. He's the third ranked contender. He's a very good striker. One of the best strikers in the UFC right now. And people don't like the disrespect he's getting, but... I'm going to go with Hamza Shamayev. I, I won't be surprised if Edwards wins, though. I will not be surprised at all if Edwards is able to get it over Shamayev. I'll strike him, defend some of the takedowns, and usually just, just keep the range, right? Hamza's not the fastest guy coming in. He's not the most tricky fighter to enter on a striking. I think Leon Edwards should be able to connect with a bunch
1: of things... While Shumayev is trying to come in close. If you know what I'm saying. And that is it for the community type questions. We're going to go to the live
0: questions now. And there's a bunch of them. Um, so I think I'm probably not going to get through all of them. I apologize if I don't. We're uh, 15 minutes about until an hour. Maybe I go a little bit over. We'll see. Leon's best win is against RDA. I mean, yeah, that is true, but Artie is a good fighter, right? Look what, he did to, uh, look what he did in his last fight, right? But at 170, Artie is definitely not the same guy. He should not be fighting 170 pounds. So we're going to go to Sai. Thank you for... So these are all the donations. I'm going to go through them first. Thank you, Sai. Great channel, mate. Always listen to your predictions before putting on bets. Thank you so much, man. Then we're going to Harvey Willing. Can Zhang Wei Li take a round from Shevchenko? Yes. Yes, I think she can. Absolutely. Zhang Wei Li does things in the striking that even Shevchenko might have a problem with, right? Some of the countering. Right? Shevchenko moves in a linear pattern. And that is very good for light kicks and body kicks from Zhang Wei Li. Zhang Wei Li has a lot of attacks in her toolbox. She has a
1: lot of things to go for. I think she can absolutely take a round off of Shevchenko. Do I think she wins though? No, I don't think so.
0: Crazy HD vids. Thank you so much. Andraj is a black belt under Galar Parana. Paranya. By the way. Oh, I did not know that. I thought she was was like a blue belt, right?
1: I could be wrong on that. Yeah, she is a black belt. Wow. So thank you for correcting me on that. I would have probably thought that
0: and never check on it. Thank you, Intent Chief. I think D De- Devashvili could be a future star. Yes, his wrestling is out of this world, man. He's so dominant, and that is the guy everybody thought would be Sean O'Malley. He's the guy that people thought that Sean O'Malley did not want any part of, even though he was kind of poking jabs at him on social media and stuff, and trash-talking. That was the guy a lot of people thought that O'Malley did not want anything to do with, and he wanted to surpass him, get get over him, and fight the contenders, you know? Don't get to that guy yet. But yes... Murab is an absolute monster in that bantamweight division. Thank you, Stampede OP. Hey, Weasel, how do you see Conorverse Makashev going? Uh, I think it's early to really assess Makashev's ability against guys like Conor McGregor right now. I understand he is the future of the division. He's almost like a Habib. He wrestles a little bit different. Even though it's the same kind of style, he does things a little bit different than Habib does. He's a little bit more explosive with a lot of things, but not as... Clinging as Habib is. You know what I'm saying? He's also an overall better striker offensively, though. Like, his bodily mechanics work a little
1: bit better than Habib's, but Habib's reaction timing and his reflexes seem to be much better than Makashev's. I will say Connor, but I have to see a lot more from Makashev. He hasn't had that level of competition
0: yet to really be confident in him. Lewis Gordon, thank you so much, man. Love from Scotland, dude. All shout-outs to Scotland, man. Thanks for the videos. I've had questions for ages. What five fight fighters would you move down Would you move down in a weight
1: class? So how many guys are so big you got to move them down a bit? Is that what you're trying to say? Um, I don't know. I think everybody's pretty good. I think more fighters should be moving up
0: rather than moving down. Maybe Kelvin Gastelum move down and fight him in welterweight division. He has some success
1: there. Curtis Blades? Uh, Curtis Blades is a little bit too big, huh? Yeah, there should be a Cruiserweight division. Okay, if you want to count a Cruiserweight division, you move him down. But, um,
0: yeah, I can't think of five fighters off the top of my head. There's a lot of fighters that need to move up, though. Like, that's, that's for sure. Kevin Lee ne- needs to move the middleweight. Yeah, no. Uh, he's a big guy for 155, but if there was a 165, that would solve a lot of problems. And that would solve a lot of problems with guys who are missing weight. Christian, then we go to Christian McClintock. Thank you so much, man. Hey, Weasel, what do you think of Connor versus Geishi? I think Conor sleeps him or TKO's him. Also, Habib versus Usman. Love the work, brother. Keep it up. Thank you so much for the question, man. And yeah, I think Conor does TKO him. Geishi, some, some people were debating me a little bit about why I think Geishi is harder for Conor than Dustin Poirier. Well, here's the thing. It generally comes down to two things without really getting into it too much, in depth at least. Justin Gaethje has the light kick factor, right? Dustin Poirier doesn't throw any kicks, really. Um, he's more of so of a boxer with some good takedowns and really good Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Justin Gaethje has intensity in his kicks. My, his, his kicks are super damaging, and not the inside kick with the power leg, right? Because that would line up Conor's left hand, just like it did against Dustin Poirier, right? If you hit, if you hit a softball fighter on the inside whether you're, or, while you're orthodox, their kick is going to come out They're going to get the outside foot advantage naturally. They plant for the left hand and catch you flush. The thing is, Justin Gaethje has the ins or not the inside leg kick, but the the lead leg kick. So he can kick the leg inward, take off the left hand angle completely from Conor McGregor. And Gaethje has some hard, hard lead leg kicks, man. Very hard. He can go to the head. He can go to the body as well. The other thing that he has over Dustin Poirier is the movement factor. He's so much better moving around he's way more fluid with his movements. Dustin Poirier would have a hard time getting away if Connor's advancing on him, right? Justin Gaethje can at least make some angles to get into some kind of safety, but I ultimately do think Conor would counter him, catch him. He's faster. He hits. Nah, I don't know if he hits harder, but he is more precise with that left hand. He has better kicks, and there's no takedown factor from Gaishi. so... I think Conor would take him on for sure. Also, Habib versus Usman. I think Usman's a little bit too big. I think he's a little bit too strong. He's a very good wrestler. He's probably not going to get taken down that easily. Even if, even if he does, I don't think Habib is going to be able to control him that easily. Um, also, Usman has more power on the feet, way longer. Overall, I think it's a hard matchup for Habib, but it is competitive. Thank you, Michelle Pajera. Uh, Thank you so much, man. What do you think of Rowney Barcelos at 135 and how he matches up with the top 10, top 5? He's, he's incredible. Barcelos is absolutely incredible. You see his last performance. The guy's striking skills remind me very much of Jose Aldo. And not just like the cosmetics of it. The skill is there. His timing's there. He lands these shots on his opponents. He still has to be tested to really understand where he, he fits into the top 10 and stuff. But I think he's one of the best prospects of the 135-pound division. Thank you, Nakul, Nakul Yadav. I really, I really apologize. If I, I really apologize if I mispronounce your names. Do you think RDA weak, weakened his legacy moving up to uh, welterweight? Yes. A lot of losses at welterweight. A lot of bad performances. Not terrible, right? He never, he never got completely shut out like he was never in the fight. That's never happened to him outside of maybe his earlier days in the 150, 155 pound division. Guys wrestle him to a decision. Guys are able to wrestle him, control him, do a bunch of stuff to him that a lot of the guys in the 155-pound pound division are not able to do. So, yeah, it weakened his legacy when you look at the, like the record part of it, but when you look at the styles and look at the skills and what he's done, he's not in his natural weight class. He's still one of the absolute best fighters in the UFC. You could probably, if you want to go in-depth with a GOAT list, you could probably do top 30. He's probably somewhere in the top 30, top 25. And when you talk about lightweights, he's like top five for sure. He's so underrated and he's alive in this lightweight division now. He's doing things now that have a lot of people notice. Then we go to Bill, for, Bill Full Strike. What do you think about DJ versus Figgy? This fight to me is super interesting since DJ is so well rounded and cerebral, but Figgy is so slippery. Yeah, I would love to see this fight. I hope DJ, if he becomes a free agent again, comes into the UFC and fights Figueiredo because that is the fight we need to see. DJ is technically better at almost everything he does from wrestling to even a lot of his striking. Brazilian jiu-jitsu, control, clinch work, everything, movement. But Figueiredo has that one-shot power that nobody else that uh, DJ's ever fought had. I mean, John Dotson hit hard. John Dotson dropped him like three, four times in their first fight. Which a lot of people don't, don't remember. But, that one shot from behind the ear, on the chin. No matter where he hits you, he drops you. And he's a sniper. Which is a little bit different than what John Dotson was. He's very long too. DJ has to get in on him. If DJ had problems with anybody. Like, when you look at their physique. When you look at their size, their skills, anything. It's generally these these long fighters. He has a hard problem with a lot of them, even over there in one championship. Remember his first fight? He was getting uppercut like crazy. Like he was moving in, but then getting countered by those uppercuts by a guy who's like
1: five foot seven or whatever. And then you look at uh, Tim Elliott. Tim Elliott put him a lot of danger in that fight. Dominic Cruz put it on him.
0: I think Figueiredo, because of his length, because of his distance work, because of his Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, specifically some of his uh, chokes, just like Tim Elliott got on uh, DJ, if DJ commits for that double leg takedown, which he does heavily, when he goes for a double leg, he goes all the way in. That can expose the neck a bit. Figueredo may not win a decision over DJ, but he is the guy who can win through a finish better than anybody else can
1: against DJ, 100%. On the ground or in the striking. They've got a pain and pyro.
0: Thank you so much for the question. How do you think Habib would hypothetically fare against a Jiu-Jitsu ace? Someone like the skill sets of uh, Ortega, Maya, Burns, Hall, Dern, etc. Okay, so people will probably point out RDA. RDA is like a third degree black belt or fourth degree black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He's high level, but he's not a guard player necessarily. He's more of a top control guy, gets ground and pound controls, maybe gets an arm triangle. He's very top heavy with his whole style. The guard game is what people want to see. Ortega. This is why people think Ortega is a hard fight for Habib naturally. This is why people think Tony Ferguson is a hard fight. Some people think Charles Oliveira might be the nightmare matchup for him. Because of his guard. I don't think it's going to change much, to be honest. I think it would put him in more danger. He's going to be a little bit more uh, cautious with his takedowns. Because naturally, he's not that cautious. right? He doesn't need to be. Nobody's really threatening him that much. uh, Dustin Poirier went in for that guillotine. That almost got him, but... I think it's because Habib didn't, re- he hasn't respected anybody's submissions and chokes and stuff since he got into the UFC pretty much because he's so far above everybody else. But when he fights that guy like Ortega, someone with that kind of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, I think we're going to see a little bit different of a, an approach from Habib that we were used to seeing. they we go to War Devil 91. Thank you so much for the question. Isn't it crazy that people's main consideration for Habib being the gold is how dominant he was? But they don't think Demetrius Johnson in the same way. Why is that? Well, the thing is, we've seen DJ lose fights and lose rounds, right? When we're talking about domination, nobody is really on Habib's level, necessarily. I mean, he's gone through and not only dominated, but the way he's dominated opponents, 50-43s against Ally Quinta, winning 10-8s against almost everybody he's fought. DJ hasn't really done that to the level. I mean, he's very dominant. He was one of the most dominant fighters of all time. when you look at him fighting someone like uh, John Dawson the first time, getting dropped three, four times in the fight within two rounds, he lost the first two rounds, probably first round was a 10-8 against him. Could have been in the new rules at least. That's pretty bad. Look at him getting, not shut out completely, but losing the fight of Dominic Cruz the way he did. He went up to 135, but you can point to the argument that Habib never went up to 170. So maybe... You could point to things there in argument for Demetrius Johnson over Habib, or at least put, put Demetrius Johnson in some kind of comparison in the legacy status. But the domination is not the same. We also just saw Demetrius lose to Henry Cejudo in a close fight. Yes, it was a close fight. People think he won, but Habib has never had a fight like that. There's never been a Habib fight where you thought, oh, maybe he lost outside of Tibau," and Tebow. And that was like, what, his second fight in the UFC? And still, I think he won that fight. Like, if you look at the, the way the fight went and how they score, Habib won that fight in the new rules, maybe Gleason Tiva wins. But, yeah, the domination is a little bit different. Although, Demetrius Johnson should be 100% top five fighter. Everybody's list. Then we're going to Bourne Stellar. Thank you so much for the question. Unpopular opinion or option? Opinion. I think you uh, uh, wrote the wrong word there. But I believe Henry had the easiest raises to double champion. With a conservative decision with uh, DJ to knock out TJ in a weight class that he never competed in to Cruz, who was out for four years. Yeah, Um, but here's the thing. Okay, so he had the decision over DJ. It was a controversial win. Very, very close fight. Could have went either way. We'll see. we give it to him, but slightly. And then the TJ win didn't didn't really change his path to become double champion, right? It was a fight with Marlon Morais, right? He beat Marlon Moraes to become the double champ. That was a clear-cut victory. Now, let's say he never fought TJ Dillashaw because TJ did not belong in the bantamweight division. Oh, wait, but if that happened, if TJ never went down, would do he have popped for PEDs? They would have fought in 135. Think about that. How different, would, how different would those divisions be if TJ never went down and popped? The bantamweight and flightweight and, uh, divisions would be very, very different how they played out. Maybe Henry Cejudo never retires. Maybe TJ beats him. We never know. But yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think he had the easiest way. I honestly think Conor McGregor, outside of defeating Jose Aldo, which is an amazing win, all credit to Conor McGregor for one of the best championship wins in history. But going up to fight Eddie Alvarez after losing to Nate Diaz and having a close fight with Nate Diaz the second time, going to fight Eddie Alvarez, which was a very favorable fight for him. I think that was a little bit easier then uh, fighting Demetrius Johnson, winning a close decision, going and then fighting TJ Dillashaw, even though he wasn't in his right weight class, then goes and, fight, goes and fights Malema Rice and pretty much shows the blueprint how to beat him, and then goes and defeats uh, Dominic Cruz, which is outside of the t- double champion stuff. I think Conor's a little bit easier because he was the first guy to do it. so Or second. Was he? The, no, he was second guy to do it, right? No, first guy to do it simultaneously, but he was like the second or third guy to do it in all time they would with a Brayden Spartan. Thank you so much for the question. Future matchup. Giga uh, Jikaze. I, I cannot pronounce that name right, versus Hakeem Dawadu. I gotta go with Giga. I think his striking is just way superior. I know Hakeem may have the wrestling advantage. He might have the overall MMA package that Giga doesn't have, but I think the movement, I think the speed, and the understanding of range is a huge thing going into that fight. They're with a, they're with a double A... H S. Hey Weasel, who has the best style to purely outstrike Petra Jan? Prime Cruz, Prime TJ, or Sanhagen? And then who pound for pound from everybody has the best style. Who can beat a who can outstrike Yan in a purely striking? Okay, when you say purely outstrike Petrian, you're talking about only MMA, right? So I don't think Cruz, for sure, not Cruz. TJ and Sanhagen, um, that's a close that's a close one between them two. Might be Sanhagen, huh? But TJ does so many good things. But TJ's really good at mixing with his wrestling, which is something Cody Sanhagen does not do. Corey Sanhagen does not do. So I'd probably say Sanhagen. I'd probably say Sanhagen. He would go that route more than anybody else. Then with the Lewis Gordon. Thank you so much for the question. Last question might have been uh, too tricky. How about this? How does Darental do at 205? Thanks, mate. Okay, that's what you wanted to know. Um At 205, he should not be there. I think he's way oversized. And he could be fast. He could be a bit powerful with that left hand. There's a lot of good grapplers up there. What if Glover Teixeira gets a hold of him? I don't think... Even Glover Teixeira. Right? Glover Teixeira takes Till to the ground. I think it's pretty much over for Till. If Jan Blachowicz takes down Till, I think it's pretty much done for him as well. Till has no chin. Um... I think at 205, he'll have a decent chin, but the guys at 205 hits hit completely different than anybody Darren Till's ever fought against before. When we talk about that Polish power from Jan Blachowicz, a big left hook, a big right straight, a body kick, stuff that Darren Till doesn't usually have to deal with at the middleweight division. Yeah, I don't think it goes too well for him, to be honest. I think 185 is the furthest we go with him. I think he does very well in this division. They Oliver Gruntworm Jensen. Thank you so much. I felt that DC's commentator in the Dolby Rodriguez fight was crazy biased. Now I score the fight 30-27 for Dolby, but I am Danish. What, what did you score it? I had Dolby winning. Um, I thought it was kind of crazy with the odds, firstly. They had uh, Rodriguez as a heavy favorite, but Dolby, again, very experienced, all that stuff. I had, I had it for Dolby slightly. Then we go to John Jordan. Thank you so much. Thanks for oh, thanks for all the content and the work you put in. Thank you for uh thank you for the support, man. Sufi Mir. Hey Weasel, what are your thoughts on Armin Saryukian? Future champ, and what would you think of Carl Parisian with Izzy striking? You're a gangster. Thank you so much for the question. So Armin Saryukian is someone initially we thought would probably be a future of the division when he fought um Islam Akashev. He looked amazing in his debut against him. But then the skills didn't really compare. There was something that wasn't clicking for Saryukin in his next fight. So I would be, I'll be steadfast. I, I wouldn't say he's a future champ. I wouldn't go that far. I want to say he is someone we got to look out for. Because maybe his progression will lead up to that kind of narrative. But not right now. And the Car with Izzy striking. Well, Car was a very good judo artist, right? He was very good with his trips, throws, all that stuff. But... How does that deal if you have Izzy striking? Izzy's a distance fighter, right? He's a distance striker. So how is the fight going to get in close? Maybe fighters like shooting on him and gets up into the clinch and that's where everything goes on. But yeah, I don't think it's the, the necessary kind of takedown style or the grappling style that Izzy needs specifically, right? More of a wrestler, pure wrestler, American wrestler, maybe, maybe folk style would be very good with Izzy striking. He always has different options because of that. They've got a wavy Turk. I'm a big fan and keep up the good work, brother. Thank you so much, man. If a fighter manages to win a belt in lightweight, welterweight, middleweight, and then light heavyweight, does that make him the GOAT automatically without any title defenses? Um, with the current state of the UFC, when you talk about beat Habib, Usman, Adesanya, and then Jan Blahovic, I think it's a good argument. Uh, really good argument, actually. What do you guys think? Lightweight, welterweight, middleweight, and then light like heavyweight. If you're able to defeat all the champions there, but that's so unlikely. That's a lightweight coming up to light heavyweight eventually and winning all those belts. That's unheard of. Maybe it's not impossible, but definitely definitely unheard of. I don't think that's going to happen in our lifetime. Then we go to... I'm not going to pronounce this right. I apologize. Marcier Kolziev. Kolzieff. I can't see that letter. Koziev. Just here to wish everybody all the best and Habib sucks. Well, that's not true. (laughs) But thank you so much, man. Agent Omega.
1: Kenanir versus Kutilaba. Greatest walk down ever. Walk down. I forgot how that fight went. Didn't Kutilaba win? Wow, I
0: cannot believe I forgot. I I even went over that fight during my Kenanir and Aaron Whitaker breakdown. I was watching that fight, but I completely forgot. Possibly. I have to look back at it. But that is all for the questions. It's been a little bit over an hour. This is really fun, man. You, so okay, what I want to ask is, do you guys like the live podcast or you guys want to go back to the original? I'll do either. It doesn't matter to me. It's really what you guys want. Um, That's the main reason why I did a live podcast, because... I could read your guys' live questions, and it's easier to actually just get it all done. Both? Original? Like, original? Uh,
1: live? Okay, both? Well, I can't... Re- well, maybe I could do both, but that's a little bit different. Uh, Live for sure. Okay. It looks like it's split between both and live. Okay. Well, this is all fun. I love the guys a little bit over an hour, a
0: little bit more than I liked, but a lot of questions and I was able to actually get to them all, which is really good. Uh, so thank you guys all for coming. Thank you to the mods. You guys are amazing. So thank you to Hokage. Thank you to Love Sade. Thank you to John Jordan. Thank you to Simply Pump.
1: Thank you to, thank you to the Nightmare. You guys are absolutely amazing. And I'll see you guys next week.